Have you ever experienced something so crippling in your life that has made you feel broken? I have. Are you someone who has a giving heart but is struggling to feel good themselves? Are you consistently putting your needs aside to take care of everyone else? If so, you're not alone. Giving starts with giving to yourself so that you are able to give of yourself to other people. Isn't it time you took back control and discovered what makes you tick? Join me in my journey and find out how you can feel better about yourself, live your best life, and share that with others. Thinking of yourself, it doesn't make you selfish. It makes you brave. I'm Nelia, and this is the Giving Starts With You podcast. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Giving Starts With You podcast. I'm Nelia Hutt. So great to have you join me again this week. We have um, a very special lady on today. Her name is Amanda Webster. Welcome, Amanda, to the show. Hi, thank you so much for having me. From where are you tuning in from today? I am in Phoenix, Arizona in the U.S. That's awesome. And I hear it's warm there, you were saying. It is, it is lovely outside. It's, it's cool for us, but it's in like the 60s today, so I couldn't be happier. It's very fall weather right now. And I'm jealous because winter's coming here. You know, everybody will be in their homes. Well, that's not true. There's a lot of winter great sports here, but. Well, I think all of you come here during the winter. We have so many people from Canada that come here during the winter. We call them snowbirds. Yes, absolutely. So um, just to let everyone know a little bit more about Amanda. Amanda is a fitness model and certified wellness coach who overcame depression on her own terms after years of being guinea pigged on antidepressants, losing her parents and succumbing to addiction and self-harm, led her to allege in Canadian hotel room where she almost took her life. After a year and a half of self-discovery and making healthy changes in her life, she was decertified as having a serious mental illness by the professionals that told her it wasn't possible. And now she is passionate about helping others who struggle find balance and live their most fulfilling lives through their through her happiness boost program. When I read this, I loved it so much because there's nothing better than someone who is sharing what they've learned. Yeah, and I think that my passion really came in when I experienced, you know, these things for myself. I'd always wanted to help people and I'd always wanted to kind of save the world. I always had that Messiah complex, but I wasn't really sure what that looked like. And when I started coming out of that darkness, I just had that, aha, okay, that's, this is what I'm meant to do. And did it hurt to go through? Absolutely. But I think that I was meant to because the universe knew somehow I'd be strong enough to be able to go on and help other people. What, what a beautiful gift to give to yourself, you know? Did you find that that was the one, the one most crucial thing that helped you was, was giving to other people? Is that what turned things around? I wouldn't say it was the most crucial, but it was definitely up there. It was definitely an important part of it because I feel like we're all just looking for a purpose. I feel like we're all looking for the why. Why are we here? Why are we doing this? Why are we alive? Why, 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 why? And for me, I finally realized that there really isn't a cookie cutter answer to that, that there isn't really this definitive purpose. And this is why we're here. And this is what we have to do. Um, there's a part of me that just, I'm here to get up and go outside and take another breath and enjoy the smell of fire that is, is outside right now. Um, it's, it's, there's no real purpose beyond it. However, when I started, you know, doing this work, when I started helping others, and I could hear people telling me, you know, I was going to give up until I heard your podcast. I was ready to jump or pull the trigger or whatever the case was until I saw this video or I heard you speak or I read your, your article. And that just hit me on such a deep level because anybody that knows my story knows that I was very, very touched by uh, Chester Bennington from Lincoln Park, that their music and his journey had helped me a lot through my own struggles. And when he took his life, or when he lost his life, I'm sorry, when he lost his life to suicide, uh, I kind of fell apart because I, I looked to him as comfort and strength and all of this. And when people started coming to me and telling me, 
you helped me in this way or you inspired me in this way I was like I got to be somebody's Chester like I was that to someone else and that meant everything to me and I know people can't see you but you've got this beautiful smile and I can just see that you have this huge heart through the screen you know I can just tell um can you tell us a little bit about what your life was like um and what happened well you know, a lot of people I know had kind of a dark background as far as like a bad childhood. I did not. I had two very loving parents that spoiled the crap out of me. <laughs> Mine came more from my peers. Like my depression started more. I was being bullied in grade school. Uh, I was sexually assaulted when I was 16. I was very ostracized by my peers. And I never really found a place somewhere to belong, I guess, if you're going to put it in Lincoln Park terms. I never found somewhere to belong. And it was really hard for me. And I did have a couple of friends that I connected with, but I just felt very alone, very isolated all the time. I felt like something was wrong with me because nobody, you know, wanted to, to connect with me. I, I, I at sometimes would feel like, am I that ugly? Am I that stupid? Am I that unlovable? Because the relationships I did get in were either short-lived or just very unhealthy and I ended up getting out of them. Or people just didn't want to date me at all um, until... You know, I started doing things with my life and I shopped Playboy and got in a couple magazines and every guy from my high school that I talked to maybe twice in passing is like, you're so gorgeous and don't, don't you remember me from high school? Like, I think we said hi passing each other in the hall once <laughs> like, because I needed to get to the water fountain. But the real issue was me losing my parents. That really kind of started the downward spiral. I was 20 when I lost my dad, 22 when I lost my mom. And I started uh, getting back into drugs and self-harm. I mean, I've been introduced to them in my teenage years, but I never really, I never really succumbed to them on, on a particularly, I don't want to say concerning level, because any, any amount of self-harm and drugs is a concerning level, but it, it wasn't really frequent. It wasn't really, um, really excessive. But when my mom passed away, I started turning to those things because I didn't know how to cope. I'd never been taught how to cope. I'd never been taught how to be happy. And this is kind of interesting because I'd been to so many mental health professionals over the years that had put me on the medications that had, you know, sat there and scribbled on their, on their notebook while saying, how does that make you feel? Well, not very freaking good. That's why I'm in a therapist's office. Exactly. Um, but I, I ended up in an abusive relationship right after my mom passed away. And even though I did get out of that, um, it did, a, it did a number on my self-esteem that already wasn't super great to begin with. I got another toxic relationship a, a shortly thereafter. And I just, I was very isolated. Like even the few friends that I had, uh, the, the first, uh, boyfriend had kind of isolated me from my friends. There's a lot of emotional abuse going on there. And he isolated me from my friends. And at that point, the only voices I have are his who are telling me I deserve to have panic attacks. I'm this bad person. I just need to get my shit together. Like just constant barrage of these things. And then my own thoughts, which number one are starting to pick up his and mirror his, or they're mirroring all the things that I've heard over the years. So I have the shadow in my head, just constantly whispering how terrible I was, how ugly I was, how stupid I was, that I was a bad mom, that I was unlovable, all these things. And I get out of that uh, relationship, like I said, got into another kind of toxic relationship. And within a two week period, I got in a fight, like a big fight with a very close friend of mine. So I was on the crux of losing a very, very close friend. I got in a car accident and I was wrongfully accused in two major legal battles on top of trying to get out of this, this other uh, unhealthy relationship. And the only real constant coping mechanism I'd had since I was 16 at this point, I'm like 32-ish, um, the only constant coping mechanism I had, at least healthy one, was Lincoln Park. And in this two-week period, Chester lost his life to suicide. And that... It started me, like I said, in the spiral because that was my strength. That was my, you know, courage. That was what I looked up to, to get through my own battle. Cause it's like, okay, you know, if he can get through his battle, I can get through my battle. And when he lost that battle, it just kind of had this, this effect that I didn't know what to do. I was like, okay, well, I lost my parents. I'm losing my friend. I, I don't, I don't have any clue how to cope. And then I turned back to the drugs and self-harm and it became the most intense of my life. It was just everything in my life was too much. Everything there's there too much stress 
there was too much pain, there was too much uh, confusion, and that was the only thing that really made me functional, that made me able to get up another day. And that went on for almost a year, uh, and I ended up being inspired to to get into recovery when I met the surviving singer of Lincoln Park, Mike Shinoda, at an event. But that didn't really fix the underlying issues. That didn't address the underlying issues of why I was doing these things in the first place. And a few months later, I ended up on that ledge because the pain was still there. The hurt was still there. People will think, oh, you're in recovery. That's great. Like, you're not doing anything, these things anymore. Well, yeah, that is, that is a great like, step. But if you're not addressing why you were doing them in the first place, it's not going to get you anywhere. Uh, so that's when I, en I ended up in the lead on, up on that ledge a few months um, after going into recovery for self-harm and cocaine. And I remember my last thought being like right before I was about to jump is my son will be better off this way. I'm doing this for him. So anybody that says that, that suicide is a selfish decision, take, a, take a minute to let that sink in. The last thing I was thinking about was my son, not me. I mean, I did think, I hope this doesn't hurt because I just, I can't hurt anymore. I cannot hurt anymore. I don't want this to hurt. But the last thing I was thinking about was my son. Well, first of all, I'd like to say that I'm really, really sorry that you lost both of your parents at such a young age. That's a very tough age. It's it's tough to, to lose parents at any age. <sighs> yeah, that's pretty young. So I'm sorry that you had to go through that. And, and two in one time, like it's just compound grief. It's just so much. It wasn't, I didn't even have the chance to deal with my dad to begin to heal from that before my mom. And my mom was very unexpected. My dad was terminal, so it wasn't too much of a shock, but my mom was just very unexpected. One day she was there and then she had a heart attack and the next day she wasn't. And yeah, there's, there's no real way to prepare yourself for death anyway, but when it's unexpected like that, how do you, how do you try to piece your life together? And I was still living with my mom at the time because she was struggling emotionally after losing my dad. And I figured this is a really bad time to try and move out. Right. And so I was still living with her at the time. So not only losing someone so close to me, my mom was my best friend. I loved her. Uh, we had a very close relationship and not only losing her, but then also having to feel figure out all of a sudden, okay, now I have to do everything on my own. I am completely alone financially emotionally physically i'm alone you felt like an orphan in a way i very much was an orphan in a big way but there was nobody there to like really help because had i been a child there would have been a million places to go you know you there's know, millions of people yeah, that would feel bad for me but at 22 people are like oh well you're an adult figure it out like that sucks pat pat and then it's over and they think that you're supposed to be over it in three days <laughs> and you know there's still days where i really grieve my mom. I actually remember on Halloween uh, learning that Sean Connery passed and that was like her favorite actor. And for a second I stopped. I was like, oh, I wonder how, oh yeah, she's not here. I can't tell her. Um, I can't see how she would react to that. And there's just little things like that. Yeah. That there's a song Mike Shinoda did um, on his album after Chester passed away called um, Over Again, I think. But it just talks about how, you know, you don't, just grieve and get over it. You don't just say goodbye once. That can hit you at the most unexpected moments for the rest of your life. Oh, absolutely. It's been 15 years since I lost my dad and I still have those moments and I think I always will, right? I mean, I, I don't like when people put a time frame on it because everybody is different. It took me 10 years to even begin to grieve. So everybody is different, you know? And yeah, I just I just wanted to acknowledge that because it is it is very um, very tough. And if you don't feel like you have any any guidance or anybody to kind of take you in, um, you just you're left without a roadmap. You know, you're left without without any any idea. So yeah, and then you've been through so much since then. Um, music for me, as it sounds like it's for you, it it really speaks to me because um, it's not just the message behind. Um, the lyrics and the feeling that you get, the emotion when you listen to songs, but it all it's also the people themselves, right? So it yeah. sounded like he was a big role model for you. He went through some of the things like, um, you know, similar things. And, you know, when you have that bond with somebody, whether you've met them or not, it feels so real. There's actually a term for it. It's called parasocial relationships. That's the relationships that we have with uh, celebrities, quote unquote, 
and it's still real that's still the the parasocial grief when someone like that passes away that we let into our homes that we've connected with on this very real level the fact that i never shook his hand doesn't change the fact that you know i didn't talk about this for a long time but mostly because i didn't understand it myself but when i was sexually assaulted when i was 16 i remember just closing my eyes because you go somewhere else it's the only thing you can do is just go somewhere else in your head and I remember closing my eyes and tracing Chester's flame tattoos. He had these flame tattoos on his forearms. And I just remember like tracing those in my head and thinking, you know, of, of this protection in a way. It was like, it was in some symbolic way, like my protection in that moment, my distraction in that moment. And that night when I took a shower, which PSA, don't do that. If you are sexually assaulted, if you've been sexually assaulted, do not take a shower, go immediately to the police um, so they can try to, to get evidence. But I, I was 16 and I panicked um, and I, I remember taking a shower that night and I was listening to one of the songs uh, on on hybrid theory on their album and it gave words to the things that I didn't know how to express the things that I didn't understand these emotions that were just hitting me this this guilt this pain this sadness this just shock it gave words to that and that was kind of a constant through my life when all these traumatic things kept happening, like losing my parents or uh, the, the emotionally abusive relationship or there's so many different things that, that um, these, their music helped me through specifically their music. And I, I don't know, I, I couldn't really describe what was about their music as opposed to all the other uh, bands and songs and groups, but you're right there. There was something very personal about Chester that I connected with that really, just gave me strength. Yeah, absolutely. It's like a survival, use it as a survival mechanism, you know, for me, it was Metallica. That was my band, but, but my I just, loves Metallica. <laughs> <laughs> you are my friend does. My best friend is a really huge Metallica fan. Yeah. So I just, I felt no matter what I could go somewhere if I didn't want to be around anybody, or I didn't have the words to explain how I felt just, you know, go into a quiet place, turn up the tunes and just listen you know and disappear like I felt like I could just disappear for a minute if just for that minute just put I know everybody can't see me but put my little kitty headphones on and and just you know get away from the world and in a way it almost has the same effect mm -hmm. as drugs it's good therapy because you're escaping it's it's therapy but it's a positive healthy therapy yeah they've actually proven that that music can improve uh mental health and everybody kind of has that group that they connect with for whatever reason, or that person that they connect with. When I was 13, it was NSYNC. <laughs> NSYNC was my life. Platinum uh, blonde my, for me. Oh God. Yeah, my, my best friends that are listening to this are probably going, oh God, I remember those days of having to listen to that same album like 342 times, good Lord. <laughs> but uh, I, I look back now as a parent, and my uh, my son got to talk to Jamie when I did the interview. I my my son came in and Jamie like said hi to him. And my my kid's just an absolute like shock and has no idea what to do. So they only talked for about two minutes about cereal of all things and a couple of other things. And I thought that was really weird. Like I thought my kid would be really excited. Oh no, he's told that story like three bazillion times. Just like how many different ways can you find to talk about this two minute cereal conversation? But then I I think back I'm like. God, was this what I was like to my parents when I was 13, when all I would talk about was Justin Timberlake? I know, it's hilarious looking back now. Mine's 14, and he doesn't talk a lot, come to think of it. Well, I didn't talk a lot. Actually, that was probably the, the quietest time in my life was, like, my teens. I kept everything in. I was more of a, like, tomboy and didn't have a lot of girlfriends, had a lot, had a lot of friends that were guys, and you know, kind of like just stayed in my own little world. And that's when I had my all my turbulent stuff happen. And then, but it's, you know, music can be, it sounds like we have that in common because music for me is definitely an escape um, and also helping other people. So they're the two things. Like I've been to grief counseling and therapy and um, mental health counselors and things. And the two things that really helped me were those two things. Oh yeah, I will say that I know everybody has their own uh, their own things that work for them, and I know that there's a place for therapy, there's a place for medication. That place was not with me; it did not help me. There were a couple therapists that you know offered uh, skills and stuff that I definitely utilized and that definitely did help out my life. But on an overall, none of it really made a big enough difference for me to move forward. And in retrospect, when you stop to think about it, well, of course it didn't <laughs> because they're not looking to help you heal. 
because if they help you heal, you're not going to go back to them. And that really isn't a smart business practice in a way. But I realized, you know, when I came down from the ledge, I went back. This was my last real time uh, trying to communicate with a mental health professional. Um, I came back and I, I went to my psychiatrist and I said, look, this is what happened, but I want to be happy. Like, I feel like your only goal and the goal of most of the mental health professionals I'd ever been uh, in, in care of was to keep me safe. Like it was to make sure that I didn't kill myself on your watch. That was your goal. Not for me to be happy, not for me to have any kind of life satisfaction, basically for me to not do drugs, not hurt myself, not hurt anybody else. That was the goal. Okay. Yeah. Like so you don't feel did, guilty. Did, <laughs> yeah. Did, did, did any of us ever really grow up wanting to live complacently ever after? Because that's what it turns into is there's no real life to be had there. Those are great things. I'm not saying that, that those aren't awesome goals. And if you're at rock bottom, you definitely want to address those. But there has to be something after that. There has to be a exactly. next step. And once I got into recovery, you know, and I wasn't self-harming and I wasn't uh, using anymore, there didn't seem to be a next step with them. It was, well, stop having panic attacks. <laughs> okay. Stop being depressed. Thank you for that. I, why didn't I think of that? Oh, my gosh. You Try know? to relax. Yeah, breathe. Like, oh, the things people tell you when you're when you're stressed. Like, I've tried that. I've tried that. <laughs> and I, I just love it. Like, well, have you ever tried just going outside and taking a breath and calling a friend? Nah, never tried any of those things. I'm not saying that those things can't be, you know, good tools, but that's not going to fix depression. <laughs> like, that's not going to heal you from um, depression. But yeah, you're absolutely right. Like, I got more like a bazillion times more from changing my lifestyle, changing my mindset, changing my habits, being more involved um, in my community, being more involved with the things that I was passionate about, finding my story, finding my voice, uh, being healthy, like living a more healthy lifestyle. Those were the things that got me out of the depression. Those were the things that led me to being decertified. And I can say with 100% confidence, had I stayed with that mental health professional and I just followed, you know, the their their roadmap, I would still be in the same place and I'd just be on another ledge. Because I told myself when I, when I came down off the ledge, like in the, in the time following, in the couple of days following, I said, I'm going to give it one year, everything I have for one year. And if at the end of that year, I still feel this much pain and this much hurt, I'm going to jump. I gave myself permission to jump. And that kind of lit a fire under me because I realized once that that mental health professional told me that, that it was on me. It wasn't on the professional. It wasn't on Chester. It wasn't on my parents. It wasn't on anybody else but me. Can I utilize those people in my life? Absolutely. Like, but at the end of the day, my happiness, my mental health was on me. Absolutely. And I think so many times we leave that responsibility on other people and it's not fair. It's not fair to them. It doesn't help us. I think we need to take our own responsibility. Yes, we need to reach out and, and talk to people and, and try to get help because there are some therapists out there that can be very helpful. There are others, like you said, that, that just don't help you. And I've, I went through the same thing. Um, but I think it's so important to figure out what is right for you because everybody is different. Everybody has their, you know, like you were saying, people don't treat what brought you here in the first place. You know, and yeah. we do, we need to like peel that off or have somebody help us do that. Because if you don't treat that like drinking and drugs and all that, it's just a, a consequence of, of how it's you feel. Symptoms. Yeah, exactly. And so many people forget that. And so they're just like, oh, this person's a drug addict. People judge and people, you know, and, and it's horrible because we tend to like you were you were talking a little bit earlier about how you believed like what your boyfriend said or how you believed what other people we need to stop, especially women do this more than men, I find. Um, we need to really stop identifying who we are based on what other people think we are. A hundred percent. And I, that's, that was a really hard thing for me to break because it was like a lifetime of all these thoughts, like, like tapes that had gotten stuck in my head. And some of them were well-meaning. I mean, it wasn't all bullies. I remember my mom, who, as I said before, I had a great relationship with my mom. We loved each other very much. And she was um, you know, in every way built me up and believed in me. But I remember my mom telling me once when I was a teenager, you look dead without makeup. And that stuck with me 
And then I couldn't feel confident without makeup. I felt like I wasn't worthy. I wasn't attractive. I wasn't pretty enough unless I spent 30 minutes, you know, putting this face on. And that was a hard one to break because, you know, a lot of the times these tapes we get stuck with are from people we trust, from people we care about, from people that love us, from people that mean well. Um, it's not always bullies, but when we start letting other people's tapes get stuck in our head and define us, there's always going to be people that, that don't understand, that don't always say the right things. I don't always say the right things, you know? <laughs> <Me neither. laughs> um, and I, I really think that there's something to be said about finding who you are and just sticking with that. My, I remember there was an old country song that said, that's my story and I'm sticking to it. <laughs> and I have to sometimes, you know, remind myself my story and what I'm going to stand by and who I am and what my values are. And that that might not be the same as everybody else's. It's probably not the same as everybody else's. And that's 100% okay. It doesn't And it matter. shouldn't be. It, I don't yeah. think it should be. It's like at the end of the day, if I can look at myself in the mirror, feel like I've done something positive that I haven't deliberately done anything mean to anybody, that I'm comfortable with the decisions I made, then I'm good. You know, like it doesn't mean that I'm better than anybody. It doesn't mean that, you know, any of those negative things that people put together, right? But I'm okay with that, you know, as long as like nobody is perfect. I'm definitely not perfect. Um, I'm not striving to be perfect, you know, but I think we do need to remember we need to create our own identity like you said something even like your mom coming from a loving place but it was the way that she had said it and, and the moment and your age and it's a lot of things play into it it's like one time my mom is very loving as well we're very close um and she said to me no we can't go shopping in that store because you won't fit into those clothes and she didn't mean anything by it. she was just like no we need right. to go somewhere else right because i've always been chunky right and I know that she was just kind of directing me into a different place, but it's just the way that things are said sometimes, you know, or yeah, it could be the smallest thing. So I think knowing that now we need to really pay attention to how we say things to people because we don't know what they're going through. We don't know, you know, like a simple hello can maybe divert somebody from getting on that ledge to maybe forgetting where they were going for a quick second and, and something, something just switches, you know? Mine was a song. It was just a song coming on at the right place and right time. It happened to be Lincoln Park. Literally right in that moment came on in a Canadian hotel room, which is just super bizarre to me because it had been super quiet. Like the whole three days I'd been there and when I was on that ledge, that song came on and I was like, okay, I don't know what is there or what is talking to me, but I, I couldn't jump. I really like your, your bit about perfection because that was another tape that had gotten stuck in my head. I uh, was really big on the show Nip Talk when I was a teenager and in my early 20s until it ended. And I remember there being a line about once we stop striving for perfection, we might as well be dead. Mm. And this gets stuck in my wow. like teenage brain. And I lived through my 20s and part of my 30s with this stuck in my head that, well, if I'm not perfect and I'm not striving to be perfect, I should be dead. If, if I can't That's at terrible. all times yeah. live up to some, what the hell is perfect anyway? Like, I, I had just done an interview with uh, Jennifer Jimenez, who is, she's a Victoria's Secret model and a guest model. And I mean, she done all this modeling, world-renowned, like, supermodel. And she had fallen into addiction. She was talking about how one of her uh, sponsors had said, what is perfection? Can you, like, define this thing that you obsess so much about? And she sat there for hours and couldn't do it. Just because the, it's, it's just a completely arbitrary concept. Like normal, what the hell is normal? Actually, that, that was the topic for the week in my uh, newsletter, because I sent out this uh, newsletter. And that was my topic of the week, is people are so obsessed with being normal or keeping up with the Joneses. And I'm like, here, spoiler alert, my friends, the Joneses are probably in debt and hate their lives. Yes. <laughs> so the Joneses aren't any better off than you are just because they have a better car or because they have the newest smartphone. I mean, when you stop to think about it, like even Chester, for example, this guy had everything in the world. He had a loving family. He had money. He had fame. Still lost his life to suicide because none of those things matter in the end. I don't know if you agree with me, but I find that the correlation between um, happiness and fulfillment and the Joneses or not Joneses or whoever you are in the world um, is impact. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. 
Is what has what has it meant? I know that you've you've done some humanitarian work. So if we could talk a little bit about that and how has it changed maybe the way that you feel about yourself or how it helped you with the things that you struggle with? I remember when I came back from Juarez, you know, after I made this orphan kid cry, fun story there. Uh, when I came back from Juarez, I remember looking around my house and just going, what the hell is all of this? Like, why do I have all this stuff? And I realized that most of my clutter was either aspirational clutter, like stuff that I wanted to do one day, but let's be honest, I was never going to get around to. It was sentimental clutter. So it's like, I have to hold on to every piece of paper that my mother ever touched because, you know, she's not here anymore and there's not going to be another piece of paper that she touches. So I had this need to hold on to everything. And, uh, or there was just the clutter that I didn't really feel like going through. You know that box of like- Or the room. The drawer. Yeah, <laughs> the room, the box, the drawer, like the junk, uh, of stuff that you just, you look at it and you're like, that's too exhausting. I can't go through that right now. And when I came back from seeing like how people live, like these people lived in six in a house that was the size of my bedroom. And I'm sitting there going, you know, I met some people that were genuinely happy. I mean, I didn't, I couldn't really communicate a whole lot with them, but despite their situation, they were happy. I saw this a lot in Haiti. Like these people who had nothing were happy individuals. And to think that they don't even know where their next meal is going to come from, or if they're even going to have a next meal, they don't know if they're going to die from some disease that's running rampant in their country. They're fully aware of these things. They don't know if they're going to be sexually assaulted. They don't like, there's no certainty or security there but some of them can still be so happy and when i like really started letting that sink in that made a huge impact in my mindset because i'm sitting there going okay i'm chasing the new things i'm chasing the next big thing and the next big thing and i'm always trying to accomplish something or buy something or uh find something and i realized all i was really doing was trying to fill that hole like i mean you fill it with stuff you feel drugs you fill it with sex you fill it with whatever i was you know, subconsciously like filling it with stuff. And I, I, I do still have some stuff that, that probably isn't super necessary as I look around this room going right, like right here. This was one of my um, awesome little trinkets. I, my uh, partner had won an auction and bought me this shirt. That's an actual uh, prop from Dexter. Oh, Dexter. Cool. I love Dexter so much. And this was Dexter's dad's police uniform and it has a certificate for authenticity and everything. But like, I have weird stuff like that lying around, but I got to the point that I finally started saying, okay, anything that does not bring me happiness needs to go. So if I need to hold on to some sentimental stuff, fine. If I want to hold on to these like cool trinkets, like Dexter's dad's police shirt, fine but there doesn't need to be all this stuff sitting around my house that is just bringing stress and anxiety into my life. I don't need it. Truthfully, I don't even need most of the stuff I have, but you know, I'm in a position where I can hold on to those things and keep those things and they make me smile. But my, my goal became never hold on to anything that doesn't bring you happiness. It's true. When we went yes. to Guatemala, sorry, when we went to Guatemala as well, I felt the same thing when we got back. Yeah, I just had this overwhelming urge to just get rid of stuff. Yeah, I'm, I'm like, like and I did, but I still have more to do. But I'm like, how can the people who have the least be the richest? Like, it yeah. really made me think. And yeah, it's just we're always trying to look for the next best thing because we think that's what, what's going to fulfill us. And it doesn't. No. And then you, it's a hit on a treadmill. You just chase and chase and chase instead of connecting with the right now. And I, I, we all have struggles. Like, I still have struggles. I... I had an awful week uh, a couple weeks ago, just complete and utter um, stress and anxiety. And I just couldn't stop crying. I had a couple really intense situations and some people would say, Oh, well, that means that you're regressing or that you're, you're not actually happy. I'm like, no, I'm freaking human. Like I had a big fight with somebody very close to me that I care very deeply about. Um, I was having some health concerns and stuff and um, it was difficult. And that's going to happen. Like nobody is happy all the time. Nobody, absolutely nobody. Not the boy who's always smiling, not the Buddhist monk. Nobody is happy 24 seven. Yes. And the people that appear to be, those are the ones you need to look out for. Oh yeah. Like the, the, the happiest people are the ones that hurt the most inside I've noticed because they feel the need to project happiness as not to hurt other people. 
And I was like that for a long time. Like the only people that knew that I was struggling with all these mental health issues were the people that were very close to me, like my best friend or my partner or whatever. But for the most part, I remember across the board, the number one thing I heard the most was I had no idea. I had no idea. You always were so happy. You always like posted these, these pictures on social media of you like smiling with your, with your son. And people think that depression has a face, you know, but it doesn't. And I posted a picture on my Instagram uh, a few weeks ago when it was um, National Mental Health Day, Mm -hmm. uh, where it was a picture of me. I was at Disneyland with my son and we're with Eeyore, ironically enough. And like, I'm smiling. And to anybody that looks at that picture would say, she's happy. Oh no, I had a complete and utter mental breakdown in my hotel room later that night. I was having suicidal thoughts. I was like having suicidal ideation like through that time. Um, And this is through my healing process. And I don't really have that uh, very much now, uh, but in the beginning of the healing process, I had to go through these things. I had to just say, you know what, this is how I feel. And the, 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 probably one of the most helpful things I learned was understanding how to deal with those thoughts when you get them. And the best way I can describe it is just imagining them coming like little leaves on a river. They're going to come, they might get stuck on the shore for a minute, but just flick them back in there and they'll go downstream. You have to let them come and go as, don't they, resist it. as they will. Don't resist it, but don't attach to it either. You can't resist your thoughts, but you also can't get lost in like pity party in your thoughts either. And I, I named mine my shadow. Like that's kind of my name for those, those dark thoughts. And once I gave her a name, I realized that she wasn't me. And once I could say, you know what? I, I understand you're feeling that right now. I know you're trying to protect me and that's why you're saying these things, but I'm okay right now. Thank you. And at that point, like the thoughts started to kind of come and go more quickly uh, so I could get through things more easily and not feel like my entire world was crashing on. Because when you accept those as absolute truth, like it's just a thought. It's just a thought, just like any other thought. I could think right now that I'm going to marry Tom Ellis does not make it any more uh, real, doesn't make it reality. Um, They're just thoughts. You know, we all wear masks sometimes and that appearance of being happy all the time. I, I was told the same thing, you know, oh, you're so happy. And my life was, I felt like it just didn't want to live either. And I was just falling apart. And I keep thinking I was the, I've been the best actress in my own life. I've been hiding so well because I didn't want to be a burden to other people. I didn't yeah. want, you know, all the things. But I'm so happy that you have found a way to to recognize when those things are starting and yeah, differentiate between I need to feel and just be human as opposed to, you know, okay, now this is getting to be a little bit darker. We need to maybe do, you know, use some of the things that you've learned, right? It's so important to know when to, when to do what, you know, when to utilize which skills. And that was something that was hard for me. Actually, one of the, one of the modules in my happiness boost course is all about that. Cause it's, it's so important to know when to do what. And I remember when I was in that dark space, you can't rationalize, like you're not going to be able to sit there and, and make pro and con lists and, and really uh, rationalize what it is you're supposed to do. Uh, and like I said before, I, I do think that, you know, everybody has their own skills, but I do think there are core things that everybody should kind of be doing if they're wanting to have optimal mental health. And I developed what I call uh, my five puzzle pieces of happiness. And that kind of goes over those core things that I think really, or I know helped me and I know has helped a lot of my clients move forward with, uh, their mental health. And most people don't know there is actually a way to score uh, depression, anxiety. It's called DAS, Depression, Anxiety, Stress Scales. And when I took mine in November of 2018, I had a 20 for depression and a 16 for anxiety. So to put that into perspective, 21 is really severe with depression. Like that's the worst of the worst, the worst minus 20. When I retook this in May of 2020, uh, so just under two years later, my depression was a three and my anxiety was a two. So not perfect, not at zero, not where most people would think, okay, like this is where you have to be. No, like I'm, I know I'm always going to struggle a bit more 
uh, with these things, but I can get up in the morning and say, okay, this is an adventure. How, what can I do with today? Instead of where I used to be, where I was going, oh my God, not this crap again. <laughs> like I'd roll out of bed and just say, oh, I don't want to do this. Um, and I think the most hurtful thing from that dark time was my son could hug me. And even though I knew instinctively that I loved him, I'd feel nothing at all. I felt nothing. I just felt empty. I felt, I just felt pain. Even when I was doing things that I enjoyed, there was this like underlying shadow, like this underlying darkness. And when, um, nowadays I honestly feel kind of like just this Greek hero that overcame like all these trials that were, that were thrust upon them. But I remember when I was coming out of this and I was going for a bike ride with my son. And I'm one of those people that can get stuck into toxic productivity pretty bad where uh, I constantly feel like I have to be doing something. I said, okay, I have 30 minutes for this bike ride and then I have to go back to doing this and then blah, 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 blah. So I had like every, my whole entire day, like very structured out and everything had to be, you know, going perfectly and everything had to be perfectly timed. So he stops by this house and I'm just going, no, we can't stop. Like I have to be back and blah. And my whole head's exploding. I'm trying not to yell at my kid, but I'm like, okay, honey. Okay, come on, let's go. And he just, it's like, mama, look. And he points at the house and there's all these different rose bushes, like just different color rose bushes. Like I didn't even know there were blue roses, but apparently there are blue roses and there's like blue and purple and pink and red and yellow. And I just stood there. I went, oh my God, I'd never seen this and I passed this house like a hundred times and I just never paid attention to it and he comes over and he takes my hand and he's like je t'aime maman which means I love you mama I said je t'aime mon loulou which means I love you my little wolf which is kind of a term of endearment and um we just stood there and literally it's beautiful roses. and at that moment when I felt the connection to my son I felt that I did not give a crap about any of the other stuff that I put on my to-do list that day. I was there in that moment. I felt that happiness inside. I felt that joy inside. That was probably my aha moment to realize that I was coming out of uh, the depression that I was starting to come out on the other side. So those roses were kind of my uh, symbol that I was coming out on the other side, but it was such an amazing moment. And I want everybody to be able to feel you know, that kind of connection, that kind of happiness that I felt in that moment. Oh, that's beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. It's tough, you know, like when, when I had my son, I was four months pregnant with my dad died. And when I had my son, I'd been trying to get pregnant. And although I was ecstatic, when he was born, I was kind of like, okay, now what? Like I, I had I went been through that too. waiting yeah, and waiting and waiting and I was still trying to grieve my dad and I was hiding all my feelings and, and he kept crying and, you know, I loved him, but I didn't really feel connected with him right away. And I was like, what's wrong with me? But then there were days where I didn't care that there wasn't a connection, but then there were days that I was so upset that there wasn't a connection and, and, um, it's hard. So I, I, when you were counting that story about the roses, I can feel for you, like in that moment when you started to feel that, like the love that just comes rushing in when you connect the two things together. I, I kind of see this as a Hollywood like thing, you know, where all of a sudden like everything just gets lighter, but I struggled really bad with postpartum, like to the point of, I started having violent thoughts. I started having all these horrific, uh, like almost visions. I, I couldn't sleep. I, I hated myself on every level. And I, I, I so much relate with what you said that you're just like, what's wrong with me? Like, I'm supposed to love this child. I'm supposed to be there. But when you just stop to think about the very physical level of it, even on the very physical level, you're sleep deprived. You've had a massive change in your life. Your hormones are going crazy. It's human. Like you, it's okay to not feel okay. It's okay not to feel okay at any point, but especially when you went through something that, um, that, that intense, that does take a toll on you mentally. And it's okay if you're not going to feel, you know, this booming like love right off the bat or even after like several months. But that's when the self-care really has to kick in. I know that you have this new life and I know that our instincts, believe me, I'm a mom and I would die for my kid. Our instincts are, okay, well, I have to give up everything I am to care for this child.
but if you're giving up everything you are to care for that child, you're not going to show up as a good parent. And I've realized that one of the most important things for me was, was learning how to take care of myself so that I could show up for other people, be it my son, my friends, my partner, uh, those girls in Haiti, uh, the orphan girl in Mexico, friends, like whatever. If we're not taking care of ourselves, we're not going to show up well for other people. And once I started uh, recognizing that and saying, you know what? I need a break from this right now. <laughs> like I have to walk away from this kid right now. That's okay. That's okay. It's, okay. it's okay. Yeah, and it's brave. To take a minute. It's brave to do walk, that. Yeah. Walk away from your kid. Walk away from your friend. Walk away from your partner. I mean, not obviously to the point of not taking care of your child's needs, but taking a minute for yourself. It's not selfish, friends. It's not selfish to say, I matter because you do. You matter just as much as all the people that you love. And if you if you want to be the best person for everybody that you love, be the best person for yourself. And they'll they'll see a difference. Oh, absolutely. I cannot tell you how many times like my friends have said, I don't mean to say this in a bitchy way, but you're such a better friend now. <laughs> like you're such a better friend now that you, you know, have started to come out on the other side. And it's because when I was in that rock bottom. I didn't give a shit. Like, I, I hate to say it that way, but I just didn't care. Like, I cared on a very surface level. Like, I'm like, the same I felt with my son. I'm like, I know I loved my friends, but I was so beyond drained that I just couldn't take on anyone else's stuff. And I try really hard to listen to my friends complain or talk or vent or whatever the case was and tell me about their lives. But at the end of the day, I'm just like, I'm sitting over here trying to literally just not die. Yeah, you physically <laughs> can't do it. And they I, I, sometimes yeah. don't interpret it in a different way, right? So you lose, sometimes you lose friends. It's hard to be friends with, with someone who's depressed. I know, like I've lost friends, you know? But it's funny because the times that I take better care of myself, are the very rare times that my son will come to me and say, hey, mom, I'm proud of you. And I was like, what do you mean? Like when I started my podcast, you know, and I did things that I wanted to do. And he was like, you know, you talk a lot, but you actually did it. Like, I'm proud of you. Or we, 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 um, you know, when we did our first, our first mission trip to Guatemala in March of this year, just before COVID. And he was like, you know, you've got these crazy ideas, mom, but here you are, you know, we're doing it, you know, and it just, it made me feel so good because I felt guilty for taking time away from him and, and time away from the family to do things that really meant something to me. And instead it did the opposite. It fed him with, with new things. And so it was fantastic. I think it's important for all of us, um, to take care of ourselves. Absolutely. We're, we're better moms. We're better friends. We're better people. And we like ourselves better. I think, like, honestly, yeah. I know that I was not a good parent by my own, not by society's definition, but by what was important to me. I did not show up as the parent I wanted to be when I was throwing my energy everywhere else all the time, constantly. When I was just, okay, well, I don't have time for myself. And when I finally did have 15 minutes, what am I going to do? I'm going to like scroll social media because I'm just like, (gasps) Like, it feels like you've just ran an entire marathon just trying to keep up with everyone else and help them all the time. So I think there does have to be a balance between taking care of yourself. And let me just be clear that self-care doesn't necessarily mean going and spending a thousand dollars at a spa. It doesn't necessarily mean doing an hour long yoga session. Self-care can literally be just laying down and reading a book. Man, I have read the crap out of books this year. (laughs) Like with COVID, I forgot how much I just love staring at a dead tree and hallucinating for hours upon end and it doesn't even have to be anything serious i mean i've read some help self-help books this year i read um one of i think it was the art of happiness by his holiness the dalai lama then i read like bruce campbell's autobiography then i read some trashy romance novels for my soap opera it doesn't have to be like anything serious or anything that is is going to in some way quote-unquote improve you i mean i learned a lot reading Bruce Campbell's autobiography, which I didn't, I didn't go into it expecting to learn anything. I just went into it saying, hey, I like this actor. And when I met him, I got this book and well, COVID's happening. And (laughs) 
I, I went into it just, you know, for, for a fun read, but it was, it was actually, there were several things that I learned that I just would have never known otherwise. That was just shifting, really, shifting your focus. Yeah. And so and learning about different people, different cultures, mm. different ideas, different yeah. whatever making your world a bit bigger than covid and being at home right oh, making things right. and i find sometimes just taking that half hour and doing that one small thing for somebody else sometimes can be self-care too it doesn't Absolutely. have to be a huge thing you know just something small like we um we do a lot of homeless drives here where where i'm at and you know just being able to have a conversation i mean it's hard with covid right now but just being able to have a conversation with somebody um, that normally people walk around, you know, and you just walk toward them and, and talk to them for a few minutes. Like, I'm come home and I feel like I've had a break. I've had an enlightenment. I've had, you know, just enough time and then get back into the daily stuff. It's important to take that time to regroup and not feel guilty that we're not doing all the things for everybody else, you know. You know, back when my son was really little, I saw this guy. I had dropped him off at the sitter and I saw this guy that was standing alongside the road. Uh, asking for money and I rolled down my window I gave him a couple dollars that I had and I kept looking at him and for some reason he kind of reminded me of my dad and I just rolled down my window or like I, I stick my head out my window and I said you want to go get dinner and he looks at me real funny I was like okay gets in the car and he's sitting there like very uncomfortable <laughs> uh staring at me he goes so uh how do you know I'm not gonna kill you and with a smile on my face, I said, because I have a loaded gun right here, because <laughs> I always carry. We're in Arizona where we can, we can carry. I said, because I have a loaded gun right here. He's like, okay. And then he started to kind of open up. But we were sitting there at our meal, and it wasn't an expensive meal or anything, just sandwiches and whatnot. We were sitting there at our meal, and he started talking and sharing his story and everything. And in the middle of it, he started crying. And I went, oh, my God. I just made a homeless person cry. And I felt so terrible. He said, "You are the first person in three years that's made me feel human. You're the, oh, you're the first person God. in three years that hasn't made, made me, me cry. feel like just this this trash." Of course, I started crying. Like <laughs> I cried my eyes out when I got back in the car. But this guy ended up. We we stayed friends. I helped him get an apartment through the VA. He adopted two of my rescue dogs uh, that he loved. One of them just passed away, but uh, he had him for six years. I think about six years, six or seven years, and he loved these dogs. Uh, and he, he has helped with some of my other humanitarian work. He came to my wedding. I mean, I really, you really gave him a chance. Yeah, he just needed a chance. He just needed someone to see him as human. And he pretty much just given up, you know? And, he, and that could be any one of us. It could be. And I'm telling you, I've been in the position, I've been homeless first and foremost. So I've been that person that's sleeping in my car uh, after my dad died and a series of events led me uh, to that. My mom and I were sleeping in the car with our two chihuahuas. And I, I know so many people that are literally one paycheck from homelessness. Me too. All it would take us for them to lose their jobs and they'd be homeless. Yep, I know several as well. And they're hardworking people. Exactly. And they're, they're not addicts or any of that. And even if they are, they still deserve help. That's yes. the hugest misconception that, oh, well, homeless people, are they're, they're just crazy or they just have uh, addictions. I'm like, you know what? I had a mental health disorder and an addiction. Did I deserve to be on the street? See, my son, Evan, he, uh, when he was six, he wanted to do, um, he asked me, he, he came from a birthday party and he said, do homeless people get loot bags? Uh, so loot bags are like little gift bags that you get at birthday parties in exchange. And I'm like, no, he's like, well, tomorrow morning, we're going to go out there and we're going to get them loot bags. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, okay. It's December. There's a big snowstorm. Okay, go to bed. It's like 10 o'clock. You're six years old. You need to be sleeping. <laughs> and the next morning, you know, he was not an early riser, but that day he got me up at like 530. He's like, okay, you ready? And I'm like, where are we going? So he's like, today's the day. We're going to go. So that's what we did. So ever since, this is our eighth year, we go out once a year and we, we feed 50 people and give them tents and bags and things. And, you know, that first year it was just me and him. He's got a little red snowsuit on and we're going up this hill with a wagon full of coffee that's spilling everywhere and these lunches. And <laughs> and at the end, he says, Mom, he goes, they're a little bit dirty looking, but they're just like us. I'm not afraid. And I was just like, absolutely. You know, and now there's like 30 people who come out every year and join us. And and it's just he really taught me something, you know, Kids can. Kids can teach you. I remember we went to Gay Pride when he was, God, like maybe three years old. He was, he was like 
yeah, about three or four years old. And we went to Gay Pride and there was always the protesters outside uh, that would say, I hope you get AIDS and I hope you die and Jesus this and God that. And I'm like, I don't think that that's what no. Jesus or God would have wanted. If I'm not religious, call me crazy, but I don't think that that's what Jesus would have wanted. But my son, like we were standing behind this lesbian couple and they're yelling at them, just saying all these atrocious things. And my like four-year-old son, who I had never brought up anything about homosexuals at this point, this was like kind of his introduction to uh, the idea of this. And he just looks at these people and goes, but they love each other. Oh, it's beautiful. And I'm like, you just got owned by a four-year-old. <laughs> and then in 2020, so he was about five, when I went to uh, Juarez, I told him mommy's gonna be gone for a couple of days because I'm going to help the girls that don't have anything. And he's just so confused by this. He's like, wait, the, the kids don't have anything? They, the, the, the babies don't have anything? And I said, no, there's some people that just don't. So he comes to me the next day with a couple of grocery bags full of his toys and stuff. Aww. And he says, this is for the kids that don't have anything. And I'm just sobbing my freaking eyes out. But he, he's grown to have that heart too, where he genuinely wants to help people. And he told off one of my friends the other day because I, I'd given a couple dollars to a homeless person. My friend was in the car and my friend's like, well, you know that they're just going to go buy alcohol with it and I said if that's what gets them through another night on the streets don't not, judge not my place to judge I did my good deed and whatever they do with it that's on them I mean it's not like they can buy a house with the two dollars I just gave them <laughs> I'd probably want a beer too and I, I just think it's so important not to judge these people yes for, you know what they're what they're going to do don't, don't let know. your assumption stop you from doing your part from being a good person because at the end of the day yeah, at the, at the end of the day, let's say that, you know, you gave a dollar to 10 homeless people and seven of those people spent it on alcohol. What about the three that didn't? What about the three that genuinely did not have a meal that day? I would say that it's worth it. That that, that few dollars that I lost to the, the people buying alcohol or whatever it is they bought, it was worth it to help those three people get a meal. Or maybe it was they were short a dollar to buy, you know, milk for their kids. Like, you don't know. Yeah. yeah. You really don't. You never do. And I've, like I said, I've been in that position. Nobody would ever look at me and say, oh yeah, you definitely look like you were homeless or you definitely look like you had an addiction problem. Cause I don't, I never, I never quote unquote looked the part. Um, and I got judged a lot because when I became homeless and obviously I still had the same clothes that I had from before. So I had like, I was wearing designer jeans. I mean, I'm sure they were a little tattered, but I was wearing like designer jeans or whatever. Um, so people would say, well, maybe if you sold your hundred dollar pair of jeans, for what five bucks like maybe if i could find the right person to buy them i might be able to sell it for five dollars and then i'd be uh, naked so, yep <laughs> yeah and then i would have no clothes and yeah people are just so judgmental when they don't understand and you can learn a lot you know from, from kids first and foremost i learned a lot from my son i learned a lot from from these people you know in these other countries that can still smile when they have practically nothing there's, there's a lot of lessons out there to be learned. And I think the underlying one is just be open to hear other people's stories. And that's, that's my mission really, is to just break the stigma of mental health. Let's keep having these conversations and talking about this. Let's keep, let's keep it rolling. Let's make let's some keep, noise. Yeah, let's make some noise because it's not a matter of if a person is going to have stress or anxiety or depression. It's a matter of when everybody goes through it. Some people, it becomes a clinical chronic condition. Some people, you know, it lasts six months or a couple of years, but everybody is going to have mental health struggles and we need to be there to support these people and letting them know, okay, number one, you're not alone. You're really not. I promise there are 7 billion people on this planet. You are not alone. No matter how alone you feel, I know I was there. I see you. I know that you might feel invisible, but I just want you to know that I see you and it's my mission in life to just make sure everybody's voice can be heard. You know, every person has a voice and they feel comfortable to speak it, that they feel comfortable to share what it is they're going through because it's not weird. It's not crazy. It's not abnormal. Absolutely. It's human. It's hundred percent human. No matter what it is you're going through right now, it's a human experience. And I know that when I was in that place, I felt like no one cares. 
you know, it, it doesn't matter. This is what's best for my friends and my son and my partner and, and the world. This is what's best for the world. But I can tell you every single time I see another news art, another news uh, thing or another article of someone that lost their life to suicide, I care. It hurts me. Even if I didn't know you, it hurts me to my core because I see the lost potential. I see the person who just felt like they couldn't be heard. I see the pain. I see that. And I guess in, in keeping to the, the Lincoln Park thing, who cares if one more light goes out? I do. I care. And there's thousands of other people just like me that will care, that will talk to you, that will help you through this, and that will get you to the other side. Thank you. That's beautiful. And let's be kind to ourselves because there's enough people that are going to be judging us. You know, let's just be accepting of our own selves. Let's be our biggest cheerleaders, right? Absolutely. I, I have, I'm, I'm going to share this. This will be my, my, my little nerd quirk for the day. So I realized that I was never particularly celebratory for myself. I, I, accomplish something huge. It'd be like, oh my God, I got this magazine feature. And then it would just be right on to the next thing. Be like, oh cool, I got this magazine feature and then be right on to the next thing. So I decided that I made a list of like my bigger goals of certain magazines I want to be featured in or getting a literary agent for my book or whatever. And I said, okay, there's this game. It's called Legend of Zelda Majora's Mask. And I played it a lot as a teenager. Love Zelda. Have a Zelda tattoo. I know that you guys hearing it can't uh, see it, but I have a Zelda tattoo. And I decided that each time I accomplished one of these things, I was going to get myself a replica of one of the masks and I have them all displayed like on my wall downstairs because there's this girl on Etsy that makes them. And that was kind of my self recognition. And then every time I look at that, I can say I did that. Like I, I overcame that when I got decertified as SMI, I got myself the ultimate, like I got myself Majora. I just skipped all the rest of them, jumped right to Majora. I was like, I did that. I deserve that. I overcame. I fought the monsters. I beat the dungeons and I got that. I did that. And it is super important to give yourself credit and not just jump right. To Thank you that's, for that's, sharing that's, that's that. My, that's my little nerd thing. <laughs> <laughs> that's cute. That's sweet so great to meet you today thank you for all of your help and for keeping this topic you know so so in the forefront because yeah especially with COVID, i think more and more people are feeling this way more and more oh absolutely the suicide hotlines i i read that one of them had an 800 percent increase in calls uh the, so the hotlines are just blowing up um i know that issues with alcoholism and addiction are through the roof because people are panicking and um, I haven't said anything about this publicly but I might actually have COVID I just got tested but I was exposed to it and I'm starting to have a few symptoms so I might have uh, COVID but I know that um, I, I'm going to get through it it might suck and it might be uncomfortable and I might lay in bed and and just wish for death to come take me away but my best friend had it and it's definitely a challenge, but if I do, you know, it's, it's just another challenge I have to overcome. But yeah, I, I really want everyone to know, like, that there is, there's help, there's action you can take right now. I'm actually doing a free challenge uh, to teach people the five puzzle pieces of happiness, completely free. I don't want anybody to have any excuses that they can't do it. So I'm doing a challenge that will actually give results on that DAS skill that I was telling mm -hmm. you about earlier in the five days. So you'll notice an improvement on your DAS skill within five days. And you also get a free copy of uh, my, my workbook, how to improve your focus and boost your happiness when you sign up. So you can take action right now, take your first step toward being higher on your own personal happiness spectrum. It's important right now to take action and not to just sit and wallow in the, the, covid uh news or here in the u.s <laughs> the entire election drama like good grief I, I i've known a lot of people that have have you know really struggled with their mental health during this time and there are there are steps that you can take and i just want that to be available to everyone so i'm doing that free five-day challenge and offering my workbook right now without charge yes so i i'm pretty excited about that because i just I remember when I was in that dark place and I wanted help. I really did. First and foremost, I had no idea what to do. Secondly, I didn't have the money to do it. So it was, it was important for me to be able to offer that to everyone. Coming from someone 
who has been there. So that was something that I really struggled with when I went to therapists. It's like learning about mental health from someone who's never had those struggles seemed a little counterintuitive yes. to me. That's like going to take drum lessons from someone who's never picked up a pair of drumsticks. Like, or a mechanic. Why would you do that? Yeah. Yeah, right. A mechanic who's never touched a car. And I want to be able to share, you know, my story and my experience with people in a tangible way that can help other people get through that darkness. I want to be Chester to as many people as possible. <laughs> and I'm sure you are and, and will continue to be. This was fantastic. I really enjoyed this conversation. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. This is awesome. No, it's it's great. I, I love a lot, so many things. I can resonate with so many things that you were talking about and, you know, in a different way. Like everybody feels things differently, but... You mean you don't have a collection of video game masks on your <laughs> living room wall? That's not, that's not a thing that everyone does? <laughs> um, yeah, if you go to happinessboost.life, you can sign up for that challenge, get your free copy of the workbook. And then it also has all of my social media. So if you want to follow me on Instagram or check out my YouTube channel where I do those interviews uh, with the celebrities and stuff about mental health, join the conversation. Those uh, links are there. But happinessboost.life. Thank you so much. And thanks for taking the time today and giving us your expertise. So great to meet you. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode. If you enjoyed what you heard, please subscribe or leave a review. See you next week on the Giving Starts With You podcast.